0: Welcome. You're listening to the Earth Conversations podcast, where we explore how to open up to the greater conversation with Earth herself and with our fellow co-inhabitants such as trees, animals and plants through interspecies communication. In this time of environmental destruction, it truly is urgent that we begin exploring what Earth and her other-than-human communities are telling us. If you'd like to explore more in-depth material on this subject, please also visit our blog at earthconversations.org, where you can sign up to be notified through email about new podcast conversations, blog posts, events, and much more. We're excited and happy to have you join us for this podcast as we now go lie our heart at the ground and listen. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Earth Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Myra Jo. I'm here today with Dr. Susan Eric. Dr. Susan is known as a pioneering conservationist, spiritual ecologist, and practical visionary. She is a licensed psychologist, biologist, educator, writer, and sought-after speaker. Twenty years ago, she founded the Earthfire Institute, a unique wildlife sanctuary and retreat center located on the 40 acres just west of the Grand Central Park. Earthfire was named after a passionate earth mother wolf with a fire in her belly to protect anything vulnerable. Ever since she can remember, Susan had an instinctive understanding of the value of all living beings and how important it is to treat them with respect for our sake as well as for theirs. She founded Earthfire Institute with a mission to change how we humans see and therefore treat wildlife and nature by helping us make an emotional heart opening connection with the rescued wild animals of Earthfire. Connecting deeply with individual animals serves as a portal into the wonder and magic of all living beings. Living with bears and wolves, cougars and coyotes, badgers and buffalo over their lifetimes, Susan has seen astounding events which have opened windows into the nature of life. It is these stories she wants to share, deepening our understanding of wild animals, forging a richer relationship between these wonderful creatures and humans, taking them into true consideration will help us make conservation and policy decisions that brings the world back into balance. Susan has taught at universities around the world, worked as a psychologist in maximum security prisons, developed a university counseling center, directed a nature conservancy preserve, and spent time with people in remote corners of Nepal, the Northwest Territories, and the Amazon rainforest, always seeking to see through others' eyes. Then she found Earthfire as a way to explore seeing through non-human eyes. She knew that loving wild animals deeply shift our perception and help us feel the power and companionship of a more than human-centered perspective. Twenty years later, Earthfire started as a journey towards connecting with an ever-expanding circle of life has become a powerful global seed center of ideas and fresh perspectives on our relationship to nature. Earthfire reframes the discussion of conversation by including the voices of living beings usually outside our perceived community, stimulating actions to help preserve them and ourselves. Susan works closely with her staff to maintain a pers- professional organization that contributes to a new worldview and story through global outreach and educational programs. She continues to oversee animal welfare at the institute as she travels and speaks around the world, finding time to personally research the latest developments in holistic medical care for her beloved animals. Susan is currently working on a book of these stories. Welcome, Susan, and it's so good to have you with us here today. Thank you. Now, can you tell us a little about um, Earth Fire Institute and what it is that you do there?
1: Well, fundamentally, we need to connect with all life in order to have a rich, satisfying life on our own to reach our full human potential, and to live on the earth in a way that isn't just sustainable, but where life thrives. How do you do that? There are many ways in, but one really powerful way into that type of connection is through animals. Many of us have that with our dogs and cats. We have them because they're they're a companion outside of humans. And if we just stay with humans, it's an impoverished existence. We understand that instinctively. That's why we have so many pets. What we sometimes don't understand, because we haven't had the opportunity, is that wild animals have the similar capacity. They're not domesticated. They're not tuned to animals the way our dogs are. I don't know about cats, (laughs) but to some some degree, cats. but they are receptive. Uh, all the animals here want to connect with humans because the fear is taken away, at least on the animal's part. Sometimes when people come, they have a fear, but it usually disappears fairly quickly. When the fear is gone, we have the capacity to understand and connect with more than domestic animals that are safe or that we perceive as safe. And wild animals we perceive as dangerous. So what my hope is, is to help people understand through the animals here that serve as a portal into a a wider understanding, a wider appreciation, a wider connection with the rest of life. They're a beginning portal. Because if you can begin to connect with one of our bears here, and people have profound experiences with them, that one bear then becomes and enlarges our capacity to understand bears in general. Just like if we have one dog, we have begin to have a different feeling for all dogs. And once you go from bears and then wolves and other animals here and bison and other animals, um, our, our mind begins to expand and we begin to understand that, well, maybe it's not just bears and maybe it's not just bears and wolves and maybe... It's all life, and maybe we can have connections with trees, and it expands, at, and maybe maybe we're all children of the universe and there's something larger. So the underlying goal is to help us understand, not just understand it intellectually, but to feel it. And it's enormously healing and calming and particularly necessary in these times. Um, so that's the underlying goal of earth fire mm.
0: and how did you first come to discover the inner lives the feelings the thought processes and the personalities of the animals because it's my impression that that is something that earth fire really emphasizes that you know they're not just bears or bisons or badgers but they're individuals with very distinct personalities and wishes and ways of being
1: Very distinct. (laughs) (laughs) Five bears. We had six originally. Five bears. Radically different personalities. Um, Two brother bears. Radically different personalities. And it's my own feeling is that um, every single living thing is unique. And I think physics basically carries that out. Um, And the more the nervous systems of beings we connect with are closer to ours, like bears are closer to us than trees. Um, Dogs are closer to us than bears. We we connect more easily, but the connections are there anyway. Um, Now, your question was, how did I learn these things? Yeah, how did you first discover the inner lives
0: of animals? How did you begin recognizing it? Um, I think
1: the simple answer is time it was not really very mysterious if you spend time with your dog or your cat you get to know it and everything I talk about with wild animals is the same with a domestic because animals are animals ex- except that we've tuned domestic animals more to us and damped actually damped down their intelligence and independence so that we they could be more convenient to us which doesn't minimize who they are at all. Mm-hmm.
0: Um and so. on your website you you have a story about well you have several stories um but but there is a few on on the, some of your um bears and there is a bear that um that once people came to connect with him if they saw him as a bear he didn't really you know, wanted to bother with them, but if they saw him as an individual, they could actually get to connect with him. Can you describe that a little bit of of what you experienced with
1: him? Well, it's completely true. Domestic animals sort of understand that, sort of are trained to put up with us and to have us put our, our mental trips on them of who they are and what we need from them, um, and they kind of put up with it and, Love us anyway. Wild animals don't have to do that. <laughs> um, so, the connections. So, when people come, we're not open to the general public because we're not a zoo. We only do custom visits and retreats. But when people come, we explain to them not to look at the animals as objects. We're not a zoo. These are beings that you want to ideally connect with. And when you meet a human being, you don't look at them as an object. You look at them as a being. And we know immediately if we're being looked at as an object or a being. We understand that, and we get very insulted. And it's no different. There, there's a sense of selfhood, so to speak, especially among the higher intelligence animals, though I believe, it, it, again, any living thing that's recognized uh, on some level um, responds. Um, so that particular bear is Teton Totem, who's a particularly sensitive bear. And if people come and stand in front of his enclosure and talk to each other, which always blows me away, you know, <laughs> why are you talking to each other? Um, he gets mad. Sometimes he'll, he'll throw things. <laughs> Um, and if people come to him quietly and not looking, oh my God, look at those claws, oh my God, look at this, that, that, the other. Now, it's not anyone's fault when they do that because how often do you get a chance to come up close to a grizzly bear? It's natural, but it doesn't mean he has to like it. (laughs) Mm. And when they get over that, if they come to him respectfully, um, he will meet them in kind. And some... and. Something that amazing happens, and this is only after a long history that this has happened in his life. That's a whole other issue Um, about why he came to be that way. But when people meet him, often they burst into tears because they have a feeling of such connection. Um, He speaks to something very, very primal and deep. But he'll have a tantrum if you don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) And other bears will just turn around and go into their dens in disgust.
0: (laughs) Yes, and this bear, there's also um, a blog post on your website about how he tells you that he wants to um, go into hibernation, you know, or how he communicates um, that he wants food. And Mm. so he has really figured out how to cross that interspecies communication barrier with humans, mm-hmm. uh, which I find incredible. Yes. Um, Me too. I don't know. If, can you tell <laughs>
1: that story for our listeners? Sure. Um, so we first realized that when he wants to go into hibernation, um, he wants his leaves and his straw and his bedding. And he will, because th- th- the animals have to be in enclosures because They'll be shot otherwise, licenses, et cetera. So they're in enclosures and they have a den. And he will actually both convey a feeling of, of want. And then he will begin to put his massive paw out and pull it towards him. It's almost like American sign language, like, I want, <laughs> I need. And we've figured out that he also does that when he's thirsty or hungry, or wants attention. <laughs> so it's a generalized um, gesture that basically means I want. And that's phenomenal enough in itself. Okay. But then he manages to nuance it so that you know more specifically what he wants. Um, like if it's uh, if he wants. Um, bedding for his den he'll st- he'll make that motion towards you and he'll slowly start backing towards his den so that you understand that's what he wants um, the way he eats apples is he'll take the third claw in his massive paw and spear them uh, and then split them in half and then take his claw again and pick up pierce one of them and eat it like a fork and he figured out how to communicate that he wants his apples now having a human being give a bear an apple is not something you find in the wild <laughs> so he, he adapted to humans t- to figure out how to communicate to them what they want And in a sense um Animals are naturally telepathic, too. We are also, though most of us don't develop it or are taught not to or taught it's crazy, but we naturally have it. Almost anybody understands that when it comes to having a sense when they know who the phone call is from or when a mother knows when a child is Mm. killed across the world. Most of us have had those experiences. It's innate. Um, Freud used to say um, that telepathy was a language before we had language. So it's not, it's just a natural phenomenon that animals haven't undone. So I imagine it's some combination of telepathy and utter brilliance. The grizzly bears are brilliant. They're just brilliant. They figured out, I could give you lots and lots of stories about what they figured out, that a, a scientist would have to say, well, wow. This, this bear is using this, ki- this kind of thinking because it's so clear. So you can go from what some people consider woo-woo like telepathy to clear science with some of the stories. It's clear th- the intelligence and then the ability to connect on a telepathic level, on a physiological level, like I want my apples. Not red delicious. He does not like red delicious. Mm. He <laughs> um, <laughs> prefers Honeycrisp. crisp. Um, <laughs> Well, we have preferences too, so of course. He's really into mangoes and pears. <laughs> um, anyway, they've, so this combination of intelligence, telepathy, wanting, um, and those are things when you asked earlier, how do I learn? It's simply, again, with spending time. Any of us can learn these things if you spend time. You can also spend your lifetime with a dog and not understand it, have it tied to a chain out in the yard and not have a clue. Or you can spend time with that animal and begin to love it and feel it, and then then love it responds, and then across that feeling of love, communication channels open, and then you begin to understand each other. It's really no... The thing is we consider it mysterious, and it isn't. It's simply that we've lost touch.
0: So when it isn't as obvious as um, as uh, as wanting apples and being sign languaged to by a bear, um, when how do you feel that expansiveness in your connection? Because you, you mentioned love, and that opens up the communication channels. Is it for you a visceral experience, or is it an observatory, or? I'm just I'm um, because I might want to lead the listeners into, you know, they've many have actually had this experience but mm. n- probably not noticed. So and, yes.
1: and it, yeah, yes, that that in effect is part of what our work is, not to teach anything. We're all equal, not to mm-hmm. teach something new, to um, offer experiences where people can open them. S- themselves mm. to what they naturally I shouldn't say they either because that's making a distance what we naturally have so it's an it's a, an opening basically mm.
0: and what is the most important thing we can do to experience this kind of connection ourselves? I mean is there anything we can um, cultivate within us
1: um, there's an excellent website with Penelope Smith um, called Animal Talk. And she, I don't think she teaches anymore, but she teaches online and has uh, an excellent list of resources. She used to teach here some. And one of the fundamental things was to be quiet, to sit still, and to begin to try to feel what's coming towards you um, energetically. And she would also teach how to make a distinction between what your own interpretation is and what's actually coming in. So she's an excellent, excellent resource for people who want to learn this. But fundamentally, we have that ability, and it's a matter of unlearning um, our, our busyness. And one of the reasons it drives me nuts when people come in front of a bear, or they'll go into the wildlife garden with some wolves and they'll talk to each other. Yeah. Two hours in your life when you get to be with wolves and you're talking to each other. We're yeah. so trained to be so intellectually. And which one is this? And is this one alpha? Wait a minute. There's a being in front of you. What difference does it make? <laughs> feel <laughs> feel, feel the being. Mm -hmm. Um, so when we go into talking, we go into another part of our brain and it's a busy part of the brain and it's a human part of the brain and we can't connect to animals from there. So the minute we start asking questions, we've gone from one place in our brain to another away from the one that can connect and experience. Mm -hmm. And you asked me earlier about love, um, love isn't something you learn. We all know it. We all love naturally. Yeah.
0: When we love, we are concerned with the other's well-being and sensation that they're having and their experience, and mm-hmm. we, it takes us away from ourselves and our, our own perception and insecurities. So we our focus becomes different. I think. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Loving. Yeah. But these glasses that we have been fed. By our upbringing and our schooling system with, you know, bears are this certain way, or wolves have alphas and, you know... Um These glasses, I find, can hinder us, especially when, you know, you have this incredible center um, of learning for both uh, wildlife and for human beings that come together, and they have your dedicated guidance there, both from you and your staff, once they're there. Um, But what about wildlife um, that are not in sanctuaries, when we you know do connect with that fox or the owl or um maybe a coyote coyote or even a bear um how do we both from a distance and maybe on on closer proximity but how do we take off those glasses of coloring wolves are like that because i learned this in school or grizzly bears does this because you know
1: that's what i was in a textbook once you have to tune. You have to tune to something outside of your learning. That's all intellectual. And that means you're not tuning to your own natural observation and your own natural instincts. We've been educated away from our own instincts, other than the most crude ones in terms of sex or food or aggression. We've been tuned away from all the beautiful, subtler ones. Mm. Um, yeah, it's more, we've actually been tuned away from our
0: own animal beingness. Yes. To a point where we have forgotten it so much that we have severed that
1: connection right. of, of communication. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so it's a matter of, again, it's, it's quieting down. One of the blessings of the current situation is we've, we're forced to quiet down a bit because we're going faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and more and more and more and more disconnected the faster we go. And the more hysterical, for good reason, hysterical in terms of fear and everything else because we're not grounded in anything (laughs) real. Mm. Like ourselves, our bodies, the earth, the animals are grounded in virtual stuff and news. And um, it makes us quite terrified if we're not grounded. Mm. Yes, and I think
0: we've been taught to fear the wild, which is also why I think we call it the wild, um, because the wild. Yes, <laughs> exactly. If if something is wild, it is per definition dangerous or at least um, unreliable. That that is that is my own perception of the world. Mm. Word wild. So I've actually started seeing if I could move my own language over to um, refer. To our uh, other than human companions as free animals, <laughs> you know, or the free um, species, uh, because I think we've chained ourselves, and and by that we have become afraid of them instead of
1: um, instead of listening. I think that's a really interesting point that that we have chained ourselves. Mm and that they are free. We might kill them, they might have difficult lives, but they're free to be themselves. Yeah. The other thing I, uh, people often ask is um, about the danger. I mean, we're taught, oh my God, the danger well. A lot of Native peoples live with those animals quite well. Um, we're in a culture where we have to have... have uh, Lysol everything because there might be germs in our house, this is before COVID um, we're terrified of anything It's it's it has to, everything has to be clean and sanitized and safe well there is nothing really clean and there is nothing really safe <laughs> there is no safety mm. anywhere the safety lies within ourselves and within supporting one another um, but we can't make the world be safe it's way larger than us mm. and it's, the, it's a wrong ineffective approach to try to control rather than to work with understand flow with which is a it's in some degrees it's the um, feminine perspective and another the feminine perspective or feminine, Archetype or feminine aspect is in both of it, male and female. So it's not women versus men, it, but it's the feminine approach of cooperation, working with, flowing. And the more masculine approach is to do rather than just quietly be and to control and make. And each has its place. The difficulty is that it's way out of balance. Mm. And we urgently need the feminine, which is everything we're talking about here, which is tuning, quiet, listening cooperative and that's actually mostly the way the world works nature works competition Mm. but large amount of cooperation yes and
0: it is with the COVID-19 experience it is this thing it's tearing down our our apparent illusion of our safeness because I think this is what we've been doing we've been hiding ourselves away in uh, you know, houses with thicker and thicker walls with more and more insulation from the cold. We've, you know, started uh, um, uh, putting animals in prisons in order to always have enough food uh, because we're scared of resources running out. And, you know, so so we have removed ourselves so much um, from the free world or the, the wild and COVID is actually showing us that the earth, we are the earth and we Mm -hmm. are the environment Mm. and it can, you know, we can think we have removed ourselves and made ourselves, um, safer, but we, we can still be reached. We are not other than, um, and I know you speak of this oneness as well and that animals can, can be a portal into the mystery. Mm. Um, can you tell us more about that experience for you?
1: I will, but first I wanted to make a comment about your what you were just saying, and that is we're perfectly free to live in an illusion if we want to, mm-hmm. <laughs> an illusion of safety. It just doesn't work. And when it cracks and we really panic, it's much better to deal with reality right from the beginning. Um, but that, that's an aside. Uh, no, but you're right. It's this balance
0: of masculine and feminine that is so important because if you go into the free world now, we, we live in houses and we live separately. So we go into the freer world or into nature, as Mm -hmm. we say, um, we being prepared is really well. I mean, bringing a sleeping bag or a water bottle to fill it. And, you know, so being prepared is good, the masculine way, but if you can't adapt to the flow, of what Mm -hmm. happens out there. If you want to go one way and suddenly there's a flood and and you keep going that way, you, that's the feminine, you know, you, Mm -hmm. if you don't adapt to the environment Mm -hmm. and the surroundings as they happen, because you have no control whatsoever, it, it, you know, it becomes dangerous as well. So both Mm -hmm. legs are really good. And this Mm -hmm. is the COVID thing. It's, You know, yes, it's good to live in a house. We have warmth. We know if we live somewhere where it gets cold in winter, we need to stack firewood. But if something happens like COVID, we also need to respond fluidly and keep responding fluidly. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very important, this balance between Mm -hmm. masculine and feminine.
1: Or being and doing is another way of looking at it. The masculine aspect of us does makes yeah. things happen the feminine aspect is being and feeling and tuning mm. and, and nurturing and instinctive and intuitive mm. all of which we urgently need <laughs> <laughs> yes yes and
0: and connecting to that's i think that's where animals have such a gift for us at this time because there's still so much in their intuitive and instinctual nature they haven't mm-hmm. removed themselves from it that that's what they can point towards within us, maybe? Maybe mm-hmm. that's what we feel connecting to when we're with them?
1: I think so. I think they remind us of our own nature, that we understand on some deep level that we've lost.
0: Mm.
1: But when we use the word animals, it, that's another interesting thing, because if we're not, yeah. so we've made, <laughs> made this distinction, you can say non-human animals, but as soon as we say animals, okay, they're other other yeah. than us. They're not other than us. No. <laughs> no,
0: and this is it. We do have an animal body that has the same need, the same instinctual nature, the same way of communication, uh,
1: communicating. On um, uh-huh, many levels, yes, the same emotions. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. So so we have just forgotten that, and that, that is actually the most natural, maybe, yes. part of us. Um, yes, it is. But we just never learned to, to emphasize that or listen to it in, you know, in our society now.
1: Well, it's more like we're pulled away from it.
0: Mm. Yeah. Do you think that's the fear again? Or?
1: That I don't know. I, I think fear is part of it. But children are instinctively not mm. afraid of a lot of animals. Um when, when, <laughs> My, you, when yeah. you when you go to um like Robert Sapolsky did interesting studies with baboons and the hierarchies within them and said you know they spend a lot of their time making each other absolutely miserable so I think there's something in our historical makeup that um our biological makeup where we have to deal with self-esteem, Territoriality um, that causes us endless problems, and ideally, we can begin to develop not not just tuning to our animal nature, but actually tuning to our true human nature, which is um, more spiritual, and developing that aspect, which is like the forebrain, um, and aspects that actually need. Development. It's almost like, in some way, one way of looking at it is that we humans are a continuing evolution of self awareness of the universe, yes. um, and that we need to work on that rather than all this ridiculous stuff of buying stuff and wars and all that nonsense to develop that. And then there's this thinking that perhaps that's true of all life. Perhaps all life is evolving towards more intelligence and awareness, but we are the most aware that. That is not a question um, in in that one sense. Um, But you had asked earlier about the mystery. Yes,
0: that brings me back to that question. You speak about animals being portal into the mystery. Right.
1: And, And to some extent, we can do it with our dogs and our cats, simply feeling their being, loving them, tuning to their uniqueness, their own idiosyncrasies, is all wonderful and then on top of that just the incredible mystery that something is alive mm. what what is that
0: yeah i sometimes when i do that with birds in the free when i stop looking at it as a dove or a blackbird or a, and i just take a step back and i sit there and I say, okay, what if I didn't have a word to put on it? What would I see? I would, Mm. you know, and go into this childlike sense of wonder, Mm. you know, there's an eye, and it's like being, can I, you know, what is it saying? Oh, it has that sound. And it's almost becomes like an alien. There's a whole new being. I just, and it becomes, um, um, Almost not euphoric, but this really child-like sense of excitement of wanting to engage. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> they don't always want to engage, but but um, and that's fine too. But um, but it's just when we can take those filters away, I can see the mystery right yes. there of this exploratory yes uh, sense of bewilderment and wondering, yes. Uh, wonderment. Um, yes. So I, I, I don't know if that is what you're speaking towards.
1: That's part of it, but, but by definition, the mystery doesn't have words. So we have to just sort of yes. talk around it. That's definitely one aspect of it, or entering into the beingness of the bird, and almost like becoming the bird, and feeling mm. how the bird is, uh, is another way of describing it.
0: Like trackers, indigenous trackers sometimes just describes that experience. I haven't had had it myself, but if they see paw, um right. paws in the on the ground, they can feel almost feel and sense the animal right. where it's looking, where it's at right. and,
1: yeah. And the Bushmen of the Kalahari have that and aborigines in Australia. Have yeah. That, that totally, totally fascinating.
0: Yeah, very fascinating. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think the animals? I mean, I still feel such a um, curiosity. Mean
1: the non-human animals, yes. Yeah, the non-human
0: <laughs> animals. Thank you. <laughs> the, and the free yeah, animals, because I still feel such a longing to engage. There's also the fear, as you mentioned before, once the when you get um, the none other or other-than-human animals into your sanctuary. There is a process of becoming comfortable with humans, of removing that fear. And I feel that in the freer animals, but it's definitely possible. Um, what do you think they long for us now to do or to be with them? Or, because you have also have this amazing um, council of all beings uh, that you work with. So I'm sensing that you might have an insight or a, a, a longing
1: yourself to um, broaden this perspective. What do they long for? The first thing is extremely practical. Leave them alone. Leave them space so mm. they can live mm. and they'll take care of themselves. And from within, then, if they have enough space and they're not traumatized, as at this point almost all wild animals are—the whales with the sonar and the elephants yeah. being hunted and and animals because they have no place to go to drink because we take all the all the beautiful places on the earth and build on it and yeah. no place to eat, so they're almost all traumatized. But if they aren't traumatized and we leave them alone to be who they are and develop themselves, they have an actual interest most of them, have an actual interest in meeting us just the same way that we have an interest in them. Life recognizes life. Life is interested in life. Why do we have plants in our house? Even if we don't think about it, we just automatically buy one and stick it there and may not, I may not even think of it as a living being. But on some level, we do. We know. Hmm. We're just so out of tune with it. So... Most of all, leave them space and stop hunting and poisoning and trapping and driving them out. That's what they want. And then for all of us to be able to connect while leaving each other alone. And, and the very animals, non-human animals, are um, unique too. Some of them are very friendly within the same species and want to connect. And others are kind of, Nah but in general most are interested in us especially if they're not afraid but we've been taught to be afraid of us for good reason
0: and you also talk sometimes about how the the earth doesn't want to be saved it wants to be loved and How do you feel that? Because I feel that providing space is respect and also love towards the species.
1: Yes. I also try not to use the word the earth, because it has has the same feeling as animals. Mm. Um, You mean that earth over there? (laughs) It's our earth, or or that's not quite the right word yet. I haven't found it either, but it's We are the earth, and the earth is us, and we are of the earth, and we arose from the earth. Um, And that was a question on my part, um, and others have raised it too. What if the earth doesn't want to be saved, it wants to be loved, and Mm. loving it would save it? Because if you love it, you would respect it and let it be and be part of it rather than try to dominate it, and that would save it and us. This approach we're taking is killing everything. This search for domination and power, it's killing everything. So, and the whole idea of saving the earth, and in this sense, I'm using the, um, is incredibly arrogant. Oh. Um, <laughs> we know so little about anything about the systems that work or any of it. Um, we may want to save ourselves, that's fine, but it's an arrogance that is the seed of. Even with people who mean well and want to save the earth, they're going to, from that approach, they're going to take actions that will not help. Because they're not connected to it, they're saving it, they're doing something to it rather than being of it, feeling from it what it needs. Mm -hmm. And it's a strange word too. You You don't say it, she, he, what. Mm-hmm. But. but this is the
0: confinement of the English language. If we go into more indigenous-based languages or older languages, they don't have this distinction.
1: Right.
0: So it's also maybe a part of changing our language because that le- our language actually serves the 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 separation. Separate, yeah. yeah, the separation, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you you also um You've also spoken about loyalty, and I find that loyalty, where does your loyalty lie? Because that Mm. could be a wonderful, I found it to be such a wonderful base for Mm. decision-making. That in every little decision you you make actually daily, where's your loyalty? Um, Is a way of, I like it because it, it is connected to love for me when I hear it. Mm -hmm. Um, because loyalty you want to serve what you love you know you want to help those you love you Mm -hmm. want to so it comes from a place of love when you talk about loyalty and and so how do we work with our everyday um loyalty towards um yeah the earth and animals and
1: and in our choices The best I can come up with, if I'm understanding your question, is to try to deeply consider the impact of our actions. What does it mean to go to a grocery store and buy something in plastic packaging? What does it mean to go and buy some meat that has been tortured? And is per- that doesn't mean you have to be vegetarian, but but to not eat meat that has been raised in factory farms at the very least. Um, where does the paper we use come from? It was once a living tree, or actually, as a friend of mine said, an entire apartment house, (laughs) because it's so full of life. So, um... Loyalty in that sense means trying to consider the impact of our actions. It's hard because we have such an enormously complex society now, and and the clothes that we wear, and where does that come from? And it comes from the earth, and anything that comes from the earth um, takes away from animals unless they're clothes made of oil, which is not like polyester. Uh, How are the dyes made? Um, How many clothes do we actually need? Uh, It begins to question everything because our first honoring is towards life and to make them fill our needs to the extent that we actually need them and to distinguish between need and want and taught want, which isn't the same as actual want. Mm. Um, It's almost like feeding an addiction that we're taught we have to have this. So to tune, uh, to think about the impact of all of our actions out of love.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I, I when you were speaking about that, I was also reminded. Once I read an article on bears and their sense of smell, and how all of our um, washing liquids, all of our um, paint, all of our uh, odors, and everything we we put odors in everything as a human mm. species are actually um, making it really difficult for bears to find each other over mm. distances now. So they have difficulties finding um, mates and families. And, and I was thinking, cause that actually made me take out, you know, all kind of, um, softeners and, and choosing washing, uh, liquids without scent And, um, and I have now become so sensitive that, you know, I can smell the soap on someone <laughs> crossing them in the street. And I'm thinking, wow we have such an impact impact in everything we do without considering mm-hmm. the consequences for others and sound too and light too yes, yes sound is amazing I, there's no i think there's no quiet places left
1: now or, or very much free. on the earth yeah yeah simplifying is a really good thing we we i lived spent some time with some sherpas on the border of tibet and they lived incredibly simply. And yeah. the anthropologist who invited me up there had asked them, don't you need anything? I said, no, we need clothing, we need food. But most of our energy is spent on uh, spirituality and connecting with the beauty around us. We don't need much if we're rich inside. We're impoverished inside. We try to make up for it by mm. having stuff outside. And that's the fundamental switch That's necessary for both dealing with COVID and the future of the planet. We've lost our own inner richness.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, it's there, but it needs to be contacted and developed.
0: Yeah. That's going back to silence. That is one way into it. Yes. and going back to love, love in all relationship also towards the other than human animals or more than human animals is when you find that love, um, that, um, you know, that that connection, then things of material value doesn't become important anymore. It isn't as important
1: anymore. You don't even want it. Yeah. But people, love is made so much... Sentimentalized, but it's actually a force. Hmm. It works as a force. Yeah. Just, you get, you get.
0: Can you envision an earth where we live in harmony and relations to all life? You know, in community with all our animal and plant um, brothers and sisters, and, and how does that look if we if you were to look at into the imaginary future. (laughs) Joy. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think it's possible to live in in harmony with everything, with everyone here?
1: In theory. Mm. But we've got to make the choice. Can we? Yes. Will we? I don't know. Mm. Is it possible? Yes. But it requires us to give up a whole bunch of selfishness um, and that's difficult to move out of those those wirings and trainings into this larger, softer, more beautiful perspective it's difficult and uh, I don't see us doing it without external forces pushing us in one way um, and about 2,500 years ago there are all these incredible people. They came up, the Buddha and Jesus Christ. And, um, and it was like this flowering of humanity where the idea first came of compassion for all life. And then the governmental forces took over religion and uh, made it theirs, the, the power forces, etc. But it was an initial flowering, and, and some of it is still there. The Buddhist practices are still there. Uh, the religious impulses towards compassion of all religions, are still there. Um, can we have a second flowering like that? In theory, yes. We begin to understand so much more about how everything is interconnected and the and the movements in that direction and the people all over the world trying to do good, restoring the soil and regenerative farming and social justice. Um, can we pull it together soon enough? Can it be powerful enough against the forces of, of, of p- power and greed? Um, that no one knows. All we can do is each of us can do our own part as best we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the animal
0: and plant, other than human animal and... Mm-hmm. Plant voices um, are so important here. And that's what you, that's one of your purposes. You serve for that, Mm -hmm. giving them that space and that um, possibility of showing that they're not just, you know, uh, creatures without feeling and something to be scared of. So thank you for that. And is there something that, you know, you, you want to emphasize in this conversation that you experience and you're on, on your grounds? Because you have you have many animals over there and I don't know if there's anything particular at this point that, is, that you see um,
1: or feel a lot. Magic of life. Hmm? The utter magic of life of anything living.
0: And when you say magic of life, can you expand just, just a few more words on it? Because there's also a huge um, culture of uh, of magic in pop culture, you
1: know, Disney and so... Oh, that stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> the, the utter wonder of life. I mean, if you cut up, off, if you cut apart a single leaf, inside that leaf is an entire universe. There are little um, amoebas, which are animals, there are fungi, there are plants. An entire universe inside one little leaf. Mm. Um, yeah, I
0: just got this image of a whole star system in a leaf.
1: And Yes. And, and the world, the universe, seems to be a hologram all parts being reflecting of all the rest of it. Or slime molds, which fascinated me as a kid. Slime molds can outperform computers in certain ways. There's just wonder everywhere. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I mean, isn't that a good way to live? Mm. And And everything takes you into the larger picture if you enter into relationship with it. And the key is relationship. Enter into, into relationship.
0: Yes, the key is relationship. That's also, I think, what will make ourselves whole and fill that empty space that we try and fill with stuff um, within us. Thank you, Susan. This has been an absolutely beautiful um, conversation. Can you tell us where we can see more about your work and, and the Earth Fire Institute and also how we can support your work? Because I know you have. Um, a new project of this um, uh, uh, new land being available in order to serve as an animal bridge
1: mm-hmm. um, Mainly it's at my website with this, which is um, earthfireinstitute.org Earthfire is named after one of the founding wolves so it's just earthfire one word, lowercase, no space earthfireinstitute.org and you can find out everything there you can contact me from there Um, We are completely nonprofit. We don't get um, any support other than through donations. Um, So that's really helpful. And yes, we're urgently trying to save a wildlife corridor that runs through our land and connects up to the Yellowstone to Yukon Wildlife Corridor. It's like the last finger of vibrant land left in this area because everything gets developed. The more beautiful the land, the more easily it gets destroyed. So we're trying to preserve a corridor for the animals so that they can migrate as they need to and find mates as they need to thank you that requires funds sadly
0: yeah i will leave links of course um underneath this podcast for anybody who would like to go and there's also a huge resource um based on your website with so many incredible stories of everything you do there with all of the other than human animals and <laughs> your experiences and people that come to retreat, um, with you, their experiences. And so I truly recommend checking it out. Um, and thank you for doing the work you do. It's, um, it's really important to have these spaces of voices, um, for the other than human animals and for us um, and for us. That's yes. Sure. Thank you, everybody. It has been a pleasure once more to be with you. And please go lie your heart at the ground and listen. Thank you for listening to the Earth Conversations podcast. If you'd like to explore more in-depth material on how to open up to hearing the conversation that the Earth is trying to have with us, please visit our blog at earthconversations.org where you can also sign up to be notified through email when new podcast conversations are ready, along with new articles and events. We would like to thank you for taking the time today to open up to the heart of the earth and her ways of communicating with us. It is our sincere wish that you will tune into this greater conversation that she so desperately seeks us to have with her at this moment in time. To find the track to the wonderful music that underscores this podcast, simply follow the link below to iTunes or Spotify. Please, take good care of yourself and the earth. And until next time, go lie your heart at the ground and listen. É terra, é mar.
1: É vida infinita. É amor incondicional. É abraço apertado, carinho sempre dado. O aconchego no colo. E o alimento no peito. É vida infinita.